These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema A to B. So today, we're going to talk about a very special film for Ben. We are going to talk about the 1964 Stanley Kubrick film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Now, Ben, this, I, if I remember correctly, I believe this is your favorite Kubrick film. Mm-hmm. And you sing its praises. I really enjoy it, but I'm going to definitely I'm going to throw it to you because I know you love this film. I do. And this is another one that Mr. Jeff Starkey is responsible for my love of this movie. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is my favorite Kubrick film. Um, this is also my favorite comedy. So this sits in my, this sits in my top 10. I think it's the top three or four highest. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the best comedy ever made. I don't do, we don't do the best thing. This is my favorite though. And I saw it probably in high school. I think we had it on VHS. I think somebody bought my dad a copy on VHS, like a friend did. <laughs> and, and I watched it then didn't completely understand what I was watching then, <laughs> but then on subsequent viewings realized exactly what I was watching. And this thing is just insane in the most wonderful, delightful way. So this is not my favorite Kubrick film. But I'm going to tell you, it's, a pro- it's I think my second favorite. I do have a soft spot for Spartacus because I did see that kind of prior to this. And it was kind of not a family thing, but a, a friend and like cousin kind of a thing where we would watch it. And so like, there's some nostalgia. But I want to tell you, I watched this film again today, probably for the third time in my life, because I have not seen this film that many times. And I'm still laughing. Like, I know what's coming. <laughs> I know what's being said. And it's still... Just so funny. I mean, Peter Sellers, my goodness, is brilliant as always. This is my favorite Peter Sellers role. Like you, people can like. I know people love him in Pink Panther. It's great. This is my favorite, hands down. It's also, and this is a little sacrilegious. This is my favorite George C. Scott performance. Like Patton is absolutely amazing. But I just love his kind of how he like how he is in this like some of the lines he has are so great <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah well it's it's obviously yes peter sellers is one of a kind comedic genius but some of my f- funniest moments for me aren't even him mm-hmm. and and like you said george c scott as as general turgidson hysterical and then sterling hayden is ripper hysterical yeah so it's not the laughs don't just purely come from sellers i mean in fact the the whole thing with ripper sellers is basically playing the straight man Mm -hmm. as the as as mandrake and then and the same goes in the war room when he's the president he's playing the straight straight man (laughs) as the president you know now then dimitri (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Okay. He plays a straight man, but I'm going to tell you those conversations oh. with the premiere, like, yes, like absolutely had me rolling every single time. Oh, like the God. whole, like, like, well, I'm glad you're fine and I'm fine. And, and everyone's you know, fine. Everyone's fine. Now like, then, Dimitri, <laughs> we had a general, well, he did something a little funny. funny yeah. <laughs> well, what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. Uh, uh. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's incredible. Ugh. Yeah, I did this. I don't even have to justify it as like, I'm not on the fence with this as being my favorite comedy. It's, it's yeah. there and there's no close second. And, and can you think of a better shot comedy than this? I mean, my goodness. I, I think the war room is the coolest film set ever devised. Mm-hmm. And you'll watch TV commercials where they replicate that table and the lighting. Yep. And there's other movies where they replicate it as well. Maybe not the full space, but certainly that table and that style of overhead lighting is iconic and homaged again and again and again in everything. So yeah, not, it's not just this funny movie. It's, it's shot by the perfectionist Kubrick. I mean, he was, he did so much. They shot some of the stuff with the battle sequences um, with a handheld camera, essentially. And it was Kubrick. He, he was filming that. That yes. was him. Like, and I mentioned that when we did private Ryan, that the, yeah, the battle sequences in this are exceedingly good. Mm-hmm. They look like real war correspondent footage. It's kind of eerie how convincing it all is when they, uh, when the U S army attacks the U S air force, basically. Yeah. Um, and then it, correct me if I'm wrong. This is uh this is James Earl Jones first, First credited for, yeah. role. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. he'd done just plays and theater beforehand, and this is his first role. Doesn't get a so. ton of screen time, but he's he's peppered in throughout as as the uh one of the members of the the B fifty two uh but what aircraft. a great film for your first film. Like, I mean, so many actors, like their first films are crap. Like you're in a Kubrick film that's amazing, that's just done so well. I mean, now, so the fun thing with, you know, know, all the stories with Kubrick is, you know, he likes to take multiple takes and do it hundreds and thousands of times. So Peter Sellers is not that way. He's very much like, I've done it twice. Why am I doing it again? And so they would fight. And like Kubrick even talks about the fact that he's like, actually, the more I made Peter Sellers do it, the better it got. Um, But the issue ran into, especially like when he was in the war room, um, was... Peter Sellers kept telling me, he's like, I'm not going to do it the same way more than twice. So if you make me do multiple takes, I'm going to do different stuff. So Kubrick brought in like six cameras to shoot, especially when he's the scene as Dr. Strangelove of to shoot it. So that way he could get every angle on that one take just so like he can make sure like, okay, if I, this is the take I want, you know, he's not going to do this again. So he kept like changing things up and supposedly like there's so many jump cuts in the war war room, especially with Dr. Strangelove because he has the entire cast just dying laughing. There's a scene. I can't remember when exactly, but it's certainly in the war room and it's, it's sellers interacting with um, the Russian ambassador played by Peter bull. And you can look at bull and he's, he's about to, crack like he's real close (laughs) he's real close like he's holding it in but you can see he's he's ready to go and i can't even imagine trying to deliver lines with sellers just doing his thing and and obviously you know this anecdote but like 
he was supposed to play more characters. He was supposed to play um, the character that uh, Kong that went to Slim Pickens. But if I'm not mistaken, he like fell out of the B-52 like cockpit set and like like broke his foot or something and couldn't get back up in it. And so they had to recast it, which ultimately ends up working. I think I'm yeah. It, it almost feels like in retrospect that an, an additional sellers character is like one, like a bridge too far. It, it's cause what is he? He plays what? Three, three. Yeah, he plays yeah. the president. He plays Dr. Strange love and yeah. Mandrake. So, so this so is, and as far as I know, this is like one of the OG films for a comedic actor doing, pulling that off. You know what? Eddie Murphy would later kind of go too far with. <laughs> Just too far. <laughs> yeah. So there's a great quote from Stanley Kubrick about that. So Peter Sellers got paid a million dollars to be in this film, which was like over 50% of the budget of the film. And so Stanley Kubrick is saying, because I got, um, I got, uh, three characters for the price of six or something along those lines. Like basically like, you know, it's like I'm paying him so much money and I got three characters, but I could have had double that for if one, I didn't $1.8 million budget estimated. Yeah. And then it grossed 9.5. So it did bad. fine. That Not did bad. Yeah. Fine. Did good. Did good. So I am also glad that, I mean, outside of Dr. Strange love that Peter Sellers doesn't go completely over, uh, you know, doesn't too much. Cause I mean, it is a satire. So like the whole purpose is to kind of is to make fun, yes. but then also very much to bring attention to that. Hey, this is actually a thing. And I mean, it, whether or not you believe that this movie changed some of the procedures or other, like people were already talking about it. Like this movie does say like, Oh, we're the reason why the air force and the, you know, military changed some of its, you know, procedure so this wouldn't happen this is brilliant stuff made at the height well yeah the height of the cold war 64 yeah yeah, yeah definitely you still had a pretty powerful soviet union yeah i mean this time. is when you have people that's that that's what's crazy to me right i was i was we were both born in 81 it's insane to me that this is in theaters and at the same time people are building bunkers in their backyards because the threat of nuclear war is is so yeah. Cause what, I mean, what year is uh Cuban missile crisis? Ooh, just a few years prior. No, I think Cuban missile crisis is 67. Oh, I thought it was earlier than that. Cause it was Kennedy. No, 62. You're right. Yeah. 62. Oh, oh, so this is made two years after the Cuban missile crisis. Like it's a wonder anybody even went to go see this. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> so it was actually supposed to come out in December. Or some some basically was supposed to come out um, in '63, uh, but then Kennedy was assassinated, and so they pushed it to '64 um, because they're like, eh, no one's really want to see a black comedy after our president's just been killed. Oh so, yeah, yeah. They 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 moved that around. Purity of essence. Yeah. <laughs> Purity of essence. I mean, just. <laughs> Sorry. Or like the like I know this is actually a real thing, but the, the on the the Air Force base where it's like peace is our not yes. job. Peace yeah. is our commitment or something right. like that. Like like whatever it talks about, <laughs> and then there's just gunfire going off left and yes. right. Like it's just like yeah. again, the, the satire is very strong. Are you familiar with the fluoridation of water? In the fluoridation of water. <laughs> Even Florida ate ice cream, Mandrake, children's ice cream. 
<laughs> he's like, and they're stealing my essence. Yeah. <laughs> so I just don't give them my I essence. I deny them my but- essence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I don't want to, I don't, as well, I do want to make this entire episode just quoting the film, but we, we really won't no, we won't. do that too much. There's, there's a lot of really good stuff. I mean, stuff that just made me laugh out loud. Now, obviously this was made in 64, so the, the plane shots and oh, yeah, flying of course, are of course. just absolutely dreadful, terrible. Yeah. But the the beginning portions, the opening sequence where it is a refueling is actually Air Force footage that they got. Yes. So that that stuff is actually like real, which not is model work which is done in a very sexual manner. Yeah, very tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's great? One of the anecdotes, one of my favorite anecdotes of this film is in regards to the the B fifty two Stratofortress, hmm. and because. Originally, Kubrick requested the Air Force to see if he could shoot inside of a real B-52, and they said, no, no, no way. At at that time, there was components inside that were completely classified. So he's forced to build his own mock-up. And famously, the story goes, the movie gets made, comes out, and obviously members of the Air Force see it and couldn't believe how accurate the interior was. So my guess is he, he got somebody to squeal and dra- yeah, at least draw sketches of, of the way things looked inside that cockpit. Well, not the cockpit so much as the, the basically the bombers station. And yeah. Um, so supposedly what I read as well was that there was one picture that they got that was uh, from a British aviation like magazine that they had run about the B-52 a couple of years prior. And based off of that one picture is what they kind of dealt. But now, even the procedures with the way like the encoding machine worked and stuff, mm-hmm. they got pretty close to the, yeah. and so yeah, the U S air force was super weirded out, which is even more hilarious. You, you may know this cause I, you know, doing some, you know, reading some stuff about it was that supposedly, cause they shot all the overhead, like the, the, shots of the where they put the plane and stuff flying around is all greenland um area but supposedly when they were flying around taking those shots they actually flew over a military install u.s military air base and then were brought down and like questioned and thinking they were so funny now i can't like yeah i had some of the some of the trivia stuff that i read but so okay so i i was kind of like this sounds not real but no i've never heard that before okay that have any anything where they had any close calls or anything like that. But I just, I just heard that the air force was pretty freaked out once they saw the yeah. final cut with how, how accurate it looked and then how accurate it was with the way things were operating as far as them basically getting the safeties off of the bombs and cleared for target. And yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of when Kong's running through that, that survival kit. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the prophylactics and yeah, have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all this. <laughs> so, so the funny thing with him is, uh, everyone thought, well, one, he didn't have a passport, so they wait to get his passport. But of course that's how he normally talks and that's how he normally dresses. So James Earl Jones was like, like, why doesn't he ever break character? Like he's always in the same outfit. And like, is he method? They're like, Oh no, that's just him. Like he came over in cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And they're just like, why are you already in your costume? And he's like, no, this is what I wear. 
Yeah, it's perfect. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. I mean, a guy who's done a, a lot of stuff and just has been able to kind of be that that character in a lot of different movies. You know, I mean, he was in Blazing Saddles as well. So not playing too different of a character, just that kind of crazy gung-ho kind of cowboyish kind of guy. There are moments, like even though Sellers plays this, the the straight man in all, all the scenes, there are moments that just, because he's playing it so straight, that are so absolutely doggone funny. Like when he's trying to make a call to the president, you know, but he's, he, you know, he's under guard from the, the guy and he, he doesn't have enough change. Yes. And so he's like, hey, do you have 55 cents? You know, or he's then like asking him to like go to the Coca-Cola machine. Just, the guy's like, well, if you don't get the president, then you're going to have to deal with the Coca-Cola company. Yeah, you're going to have to be the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> I mean, but that guy's name's like what? Major Bat Guano or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's what, what he calls him. It's just Colonel Bat Guano. Yeah. There's just something about, it, especially that's great about Kubrick and his films that kind of transcend time a lot. Like going back and watching a lot of his stuff, like it doesn't, it still works. Some of it, like I, I recently rewatched 2001 Space Odyssey a couple of years ago, and it's definitely probably one of the few that I've watched where I was just like, it's still good. It's definitely, you know is a different beast than it was when I first watched it. Whereas watching this today, I was just as enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed it just as much as I did the first time I watched it. Laughed just as hard, probably actually laughed a little bit harder because I got some more of the jokes or some of the, the jokes landed a little bit better now. Um, it's a rapid fire. The jokes are on rapid fire. Oh yeah. They, they don't wait. I mean, he, he edits properly where there's pauses for you to laugh, but it's still a really frenetic pace of jokes one right after the other. Mm -hmm. And they're not always super overt. And then you have mistakes made that are super hilarious. Like when he's playing Mandrake and Ripper's like, you know, in the name of the continental Congress, go over and give me that, that <laughs> belt boy, you know, that machine gun. And he's like, Oh, I, I, I can't, you see the string in my leg is gone. He wasn't supposed to say that he was supposed to say like the tendon or something or the ligament in my leg is gone. And he, and he spaced on his line. So he ends up saying the string in my leg is gone. <laughs> oh, the fact that he could just keep, keep going and just make that stuff up was just, just uh, absolutely brilliant. So uh, fun fact about him too, like the whole hand thing with with Doctor Strangelove, they actually do now call it Doctor Strangelove syndrome. So where oh, like really? where your arm is, you know, doesn't respond to your commands or whatever, kind of has a like there's something wrong with your brain or something, some damage that has happened that disconnects or whatever and it does stuff. And so like it has a name, but like the, they just call it the Doctor Strangelove syndrome. So. <laughs> the way oh. the way this movie ends too is just like it's just so abrupt <laughs> and it's abrupt but it's like it ends on the like the freaking biggest laugh that you could possibly have <laughs> mine uh, i could walk <laughs> um. it just and you knew where all this was going when they yeah. wheel him out yeah. that he's this german holdover it's like it's just brilliant all right. So I have a question for you. Good, sir. Mm -hmm. So I was reading an article that was talking about the, and I noticed it in this watch through that the aspect ratio does change a little bit in this film. Oh, did it shift? And 
yeah, it shifted. And so I, I looked at it and it looks like he shot in two different things and they don't know. He never talks about whether or not it was on purpose or if it was accidental, but knowing Kubrick, I'm pretty sure it's not, but I think one of them's like, it's like one, three, three or something or one, three, seven. And then like one, six, six, I believe. So you're right around normal four, three standard. And, but then you're still a little bit less than the, the, the normal 16 by nine. What is it? One, seven, eight is the, and I know two, three, five is extra widescreen, but I think one, seven, eight is the aspect ratio for normal. One, seven, eight, one, seven, eight's a high definition. Gotcha. Standard okay. HD. That's where that came. One seven eight came in uh, with the advent of HD. Gotcha. Prior to, the, okay, but prior to the, that, yeah. Prior to that, film screen. came in a couple different ones. You, you like you said two three five, which is shifted then to like it can also be called two three nine or two four zero, but yeah. they're more or less the same thing. And that's your widescreen. And then prior to that, you have other films like I believe Saving Private Ryan's one eight five. Um. And then you'll see a lot of these new IMAX digital presentations that are one nine Oh. Um, so this one three seven is the negative and you're right. It's pretty close to four, three. And that's like an old school black and white aspect yeah. ratio. Actual pretty film. Very common. But then when they went to theatrical for the U S and the United kingdom, it's saying here that it was one eight five. Oh, okay. And then, in, and then in Europe, it was one six, six. So it was, a the rest of Europe basically, in my opinion, would have gotten an image much closer to the negative. Hmm. But you're right. Yeah. It is basically, it's basically four, three. And it, if like any new Blu-ray remaster is in that, the negative that I've got it on DVD and I don't think it's one eight five. I'm pretty sure they just give you the, uh, pretty close to the negative. So it's, yeah, it's got pillar, it's got pillar boxes on the left and right, as you would expect it to see. But, um, an old, yeah, super old style, this Mitchell BNC camera. I mean, not a great camera, like, um, by obviously by today's standards, but, um, looks like they did a 4k remaster in 2020, which I've not seen that. So that's exciting. I'd be, yeah. that would be fun to watch. See what, see what they've done with it. Or mm-hmm. They had a mono mix. I mean, yeah. it's 64, so, yeah. but this is his last black and white film, but he did some great things. Laura and I were talking about it today when we were watching it. So especially the scene when George C. Scott's talking with his secretary and, and they do a good job. He does a good job of shooting with all the mirrors around, especially in that scene where the, the camera's pretty much static the entire thing. I, pu- I think it pushes in and pulls out a couple times, but it's pretty much static, but you see them walk around or at least George C. Scott walk around. And so he's almost, he's always in camera, even though he himself is not always in camera. Yes. Um, and that's really interesting. And then also like when, when uh, uh Ripper goes into the, to the bathroom, you don't actually see him. You just see the reflection and it's, these just fun little cool shots. I'm telling you, kind of- I, tell me, tell me a better shot comedy than Dr. Strangelove. I'm, I'm, and I'm serious on that. Is there one? I don't think no. so. I don't think so. So the, the cinematographer is this gentleman by the name of Gilbert Taylor and he passed away in 2013, but he, he didn't do another Kubrick, but he was cinematographer on a new hope. Really? Yes. And he also did, he has some other good stuff. The Omen. Okay. It's kind of a big thing in the seventies. Macbeth. This would, 
this in Star Wars, A New Hope would definitely be his his top two. Um, and I kind of dug through to see did was it common for Kubrick to like do one cinematographer and then it looks like that he did one or two more movies and then kind of found a guy for like a four film run. Like his like the shining and um didn't do that guy that guy passed away before he did full metal jacket. Otherwise I think he would have done the same done thing. That. I forget his name, but I was like, cause you know, Kubrick's kind of known to be pretty challenging to work for. I mean, he was the consummate perfectionist, um, which it's interesting cause he's, he's such an influence on, on Christopher Nolan, but Nolan definitely didn't adopt his uh, obsessive perfectionist mentality with, I mean, he has standards, but he just doesn't seem to be wired the same way Kubrick was. I, I was watching, it's probably a couple months back. You've probably seen it. Matt Damon's talking about mm-hmm. a story related to him about yep. Kubrick making the shining with the little miniature version of the hotel. And he had these many lights. And so he could, and he take a photograph of it, have it developed. And then he had a whole system for like lighting in the real world based off this model, just obsessive detail. Like yeah. the level of detail is just insane. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I can burn people out in a hurry working for somebody uh, that that's their, their process. But he is rightfully so considered one of the best to ever do it. And I know in some circles considered kind of been given goat status, but yeah, this is, this is my favorite for sure. I just, and I don't know that there's anything about it that, jumps out at me as being distinctively Kubrick, but he was so diverse in what he would offer you anyway. I definitely think his commitment to like high end cinematography, even within the comedy space would be the signature. And he also didn't move the camera around a lot unless he had to. And I do love that about Kubrick. In fact that I miss that now the camera's constantly moving today. Mm -hmm. It never will sit. And kind of give you it's it's artistic, Ben. If it's moving, it's artistic. It's if it's moving, it's giving somebody an additional job. Yeah. So that's that is true too. Usually. Yeah. No, I mean it's not it's not the camera never moves for him. It's just it's usually super motivated. And yeah, this this film's got a good mix of lockdown shots and some nice handheld that you mentioned and it's, it's wonderful black and white. Yeah. And kind of on the tail end of black and white, even being a thing. Yeah. Cause he had done what pa- passive glory, which was also black and white. Obviously Spartacus was in color. Trying to and think I think of- this film has aged better because it is in black and white. Mm-hmm. This could have been as simple. I mean, it was an artistic choice, but it would have been much cheaper to make too. To, to shoot on black and white and have black and white film process, but it, it still, still holds up. Like it still looks good, you know, and it's funny as hell. Oh my goodness. It's funny. And sadly so, we don't live in a world that's any like much safer from like nuclear exchange. So the absurdity of the whole thing still exists. It mm-hmm. still exists. It still resonates. Yep. I can tell you that it's definitely still resonates as I sat there and wa- watched it. I was like, Oh Yeah. This is still a believable story. And like, we're still flying the B-52. 
like with no end in no end date. The B fifty two is good to go. Yeah, I don't know what iteration it's on, but still flying that airplane, which is wild <laughs> to me. Uh, all right, favorite moment of your favorite comedy. Favorite moment? I don't know. We, you're you're really putting me on the spot here. I don't know if I I've know. got a. I don't know if I've got a favorite. Um, I'd probably yeah. I would go ahead with with the exchange when he's president with Dimitri <laughs> on the That's phone. Good. That's yeah. But, but we, 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 I quote this thing all the time. <laughs> you do, I'll, I'll you do. even do, I'll even, yeah, I'll even do like George C. Scott's like, I'll tell you what you do, old boy. And then slap, you know, slap your stomach. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> you ever see a big bird, like a B-52? It's like frying chickens in a barnyard. It's like, and then his whole, yeah, but the exchange now, you know, he's trying to warm up. <laughs> Dimitri, yeah. like to break the news that this general's gone completely rogue <laughs> is hysterical. Like, and, and the whole movie's funny, but that I think that is like the penultimate moment. Well, and the me. fact that he, you don't hear Dimitri's side. No. Like, you only hear in Sellers. And so Sellers has got to sell it. Like, he's actually talking to the guy and like coming to, like, it just does such a great job. Um, I got to say, it still made, made me bust out laughing. I mean, outside of, I, I agree with you. That's, that's a great moment is just when, when the president's, you know, says to George C. Scott's character, is just like, Hey, I'm going to bring in the Russian ambassador. And he's like, but he'll see everything. He'll see the big board. And I'm just, just every <laughs> yes. time it's just, just bust out. Yeah. Just, that, like, like, that whole angle that they give of George C. Scott when he's at the table in the war room is hysterical. It's like, it's from below mm -hmm. and you use, you, you're like, you get this like privy view to all his and his reactions are hysterical and he's just gnawing on that gum. Yeah. When the plane goes and continues through and he gets super excited, like, yeah, we are always pull through. He's like, Oh yeah. wait, this is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> that switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, he's like so diplomatic. He's like, you know, <laughs> I'd like to wait till all the facts are in. You know, before rush, he doesn't want to rush to judgment, even though all this is the wing has already been deployed. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to wait for all the facts to be in here. Yeah, it's um, endlessly quotable. Still resonates, sadly, because. The threat is still very real, as we've seen with the success of uh, of Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Nuclear nuclear warfare is as uh, on topic as it's been and it probably always will be so yeah this film is uh hard to put the genie back in the age box. like a fine wine and if you consider yourself a cinephile and you've never watched this i i you need to i'm gonna take your card away well it it's definitely up there it's considered one of the best comedies of all time and it's i know it's in considered one of the best movies of all time um as well i don't know where it ranks but again we don't assign what's best we assign what's our favorite but i know other people will do that it's on many lists it is it is and it's i i appreciate it because it is critically acclaimed but it's i think this has got good audience appeal too and you don't have to be some genius to understand the comedy in this but i'm sure it's not for everybody yeah i mean on imdb it's it's number 72 oh wow it's like in an 8.4 so yeah it's uh yeah, it's it's all absurdist irony comedy. Yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm glad that we get to, we got to finally talk about your your favorite comedy. So, yeah, and is this the first Kubrick? Kubrick film we've discussed on the pod. Yeah, it is. Mm. It won't be the last. So, no, we'll, we'll get through. We'll get through his filmography. Um, yeah, it'll take some time. If anybody's ever wondering that, this is a fairly randomized process, as <laughs> as as our few listeners can probably surmise. Um, based on, but there is a, there is a master document, which requires us both to have seen something and yeah. And ready to talk about and it. ready to speak to it. So, but, it, but if you have a recommendation, if you have something that you want us to talk about, let us know. Shoot yeah. And we'll let you know if it's comment. already on the list. Cause it's, yeah. it's entirely possible that it's on that list that that is growing, um, uh, by the day. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up unless you have anything else. So we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everybody.